How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to Fear Frequency, a weekly horror podcast. My name is Jimmy Champagne, and today I'm joined, as I usually am, by my best friend and co-host, George Frazard. How's it going, George? Good, man. It's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a minute. I went <laughs> home for break, took a nice little vacation, came back to L.A. For those of you who don't know, I work for a tech YouTuber named Austin Evans. I run his editing department, and every year in January... We have to go to Las Vegas for the Consumer Electronics Show, and we pump, we do a bunch of meetings, basically, to like talk to the brands and get some sponsorship opportunities for the year, and we also do some video stuff and look at all the cool new tech, uh, but it's a really grueling week to come back to after a vacation, but that's finally done. Now I'm back in my office hanging out. What have you been up to? Uh... I've mostly just been, uh, you know, enjoying the holidays and then catching up on some games that I haven't gotten a chance to, replaying some old stuff and uh, and that kind of thing. Cool, cool. We'll talk about that in a minute. So this is the 82nd episode of our show. It's been a little bit, but we've been making some changes around behind the scenes, and we think it'll turn out a lot better. So if you want to email us with any questions, comments, or concerns, or even just say hi, you can hit us up at fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com, and we're both on Twitter individually at Jimmy Champagne and George Frizzard. So before we get into the news, we're actually going to talk about what we've been watching and playing, and we're shifting back the movie review to the beginning. So if you want to hear the news... Just skip past the movie review if you don't want to hear both. But uh, the episodes are always titled after the movie. So we're like, we should just talk about what we've been watching and playing and review the movie (laughs) during that section. Because it's weird to be like, here's what we're doing. Then talk about news. Then go back to what we're doing, you know? Like, just (laughs) felt weird to break that up. So I guess you can go first, George. What have you been watching and playing? Uh, Yeah, so I... Watched the first episode of the new Dracula series on Netflix. Okay, that's um, I've seen a lot of people talking about it this weekend after you brought it up. It was like when you get a new car <laughs> and then you start seeing it on the road everywhere. Right. So what is it? Uh, so it is, it's like a BBC series that I assume Netflix just puts their name on. So it's set up the same as like Sherlock or any of the other BBC shows where it's three hour and a half long episodes. Uh, and it's basically just like... Uh, modern hammer film. Okay. Like, it's got super gothic sets. It's about, you know, old Dracula. It takes place during, like, I guess, Victorian era. It has, like, nuns, old castle, uh, like, ancient laboratories, zombies. It's got it all. It's It's got really high production values. The guy who plays Dracula is cool. The gore is, like, amazing so far. Cool. I really want to check that out. I've seen a lot of people watching it. So it's, like, an hour and a half, three episodes. Right. So it's basically just like a mini movie. It's a mini series. Cool. Are they going to do... Is it just one but, season? Or are they going to do more? Uh, that I don't know. Like, I'm not sure if it ends on a cliffhanger or not, because I haven't finished it. But um, I would assume if it's anything like the other BBC shows, uh, they'll probably just come back, like, every year or two and do another, like, three episodes. Okay. Like, I think that's how they did uh, Sherlock. And so I'd assume this would follow, like, a similar format. That's cool. I like that setup. It's like not too much content, and then they're just telling the story they want without filler. Yeah, it gives you just enough to, to keep wanting more. And so far, it's, like I said, super high production values, and I'm really digging There's it. There's too much content out there for filler. I just, like, I'm, I'm <laughs> I know. over it. 
There's so many filler episodes in The Mandalorian. I was like, I love Star Wars. I enjoyed watching them, right. but I was like, come on, let's get to the plot. And that show's only eight episodes. Right, and they're all like, you know, 30 minutes-ish. So it's like, how do you have filler in that small amount of yeah. time? So this other show you have on here, You, I told you about this because Kelsey, my girlfriend, was watching it. And I was like, this <laughs> this is right up George's alley. So this was, I guess, originally on like Lifetime or something or, U- yeah. or USA or something. And then Netflix put it on Netflix. They like got it after it was canceled, put it on Netflix. And then I guess it surged and everyone thought it was a Netflix original. So Netflix rushed into production a second season and it's blowing up. And I guess they're going to do one more. So this show is about a stalker, right? <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, um, the first season is a uh, basic like outline is he's a stalker, gets obsessed with this chick, uh, and then like basically makes her fall in love with him. Uh, things transpire, and then the second season is he moves across the country to L.A. and kind of does the same thing on the other side of the world. So, yeah, I, I've seen enough of the show to know kind of what happens. I also saw the last episode of the second season. It's crazy. It has kind of high production value, though, which is weird. Yeah, I mean, even the first season, which, like you said, wasn't a Netflix original, was on Lifetime, I think it was, seems like it's, like, way better quality than I would assume, like, a Lifetime original show would be. Like, it's shot well, uh, other than they have that, uh, like, uh, foggy around the edge camera, where it, like... I'm not sure what that's called, where it's like it's blurry oh, around the edges, vignette. but then like the stuff in focus is, yeah. So that, I, I never really like that, and it's never really done well. I know, they opinion, do it in The Witcher so too. I don't love, it's like, why? Yeah, I don't, I don't love that like aesthetic, but the actual content of the show is good. Like, if you like trash TV, uh, I, I think you'd be into it. It's cool. It's like, second season takes like a little bit more of a, kind of like a Dexter Yeah, thing. that's and what it seemed like. But like. But he goes in and, like, he's not just, like, killing certain people. Like, there's victims of uh, convenience and stuff. So it's, like, he is both a murderer and a stalker. Uh, There's actually a pretty funny video. Like, one of the main formulas of the show is, like, he'll formulate his thoughts in his head before he says anything. Uh, And so that causes, like, really long pauses in conversation when anybody talks to him. And so Netflix put out a video that was (laughs) just... Uh, him talking to people, but they took out the narration, and it's like the most awkward show ever made. That's awesome. I really want. I want to see that. <laughs> I've yeah, I've seen enough to know what you're talking about. That's funny. Okay, maybe I'll check that out. That's a hard maybe. I got I got a lot a lot of stuff yeah. on my plate. I'd say it's like a it's definitely like a lower tier. Yeah. Like if you have time and you're looking for something to watch, I would you and Kelsey that. have the same taste in TV shows. That's really funny. <laughs> So, we've both been watching The Witcher. You have that on here. Um, I was like, mm. oh, I'll watch an episode on my flight back from Michigan. I blew through five episodes, and then when I got home, I finished the season. That is the quickest I've ever watched a show. I love it. I think it's so good. I can't. I like was blown away at how good it is. Um, Henry yeah. Cavill just absolutely kills it. And it's the weird thing about it is it's told in three different timelines, but I think it's like confusing up until a point when they introduce something that kind of makes them all slide into place. And then it makes a right. lot more sense. 
it follows the the last wish book pretty closely too so i wasn't very lost but i, I know a lot of other people were i don't know i thought really yeah i mean good. that was really the one that was like the one thing in the show that i like was kind of confusing like i think it was probably like around the third or the fourth episode um i was like oh like there are multiple timelines going on mm-hmm. and so like the storytelling is like sort of asymmetrical told out of order but um once you kind of like piece it together like you were saying uh i think it does have a good flow to it the action scenes are cool i love the creature design like they somehow made none of the anim- like creatures look bad they all look yeah, they're cool. all practical um, which is great they looked awesome uh yeah, I mean, the sets are, like, huge and cool. The world that they have is obviously ripped from the pages, like you said, but it's, like, a very rich fantasy world, so there's a lot to draw from and, like, clothing and sets and everything. So I think they did, they did a really good job with that. I'm definitely excited for a second season. Yeah, it already got greenlit. at the end of the first yeah, one. Yeah, they said they're going to make the second season more linear, which I'm fine with, which makes sense because the after the first book, the first book is a collection of short stories, and what they did was they introduced, I think, the Siri plotline to kind of tie it all together. And then the second book mm-hmm. is more of like a novel. So I am assuming that will benefit the show. Also, Yennefer's plotline was perfect. That was so cool. I loved everything about that. She, I thought Geralt was going to be my favorite character because he's Geralt. But then Yennefer's story is just so <laughs> good that you're like, oh, she's the main character of this right now. Yeah, she totally, like her plot is obvious, is like a lot more deep than Geralt's. Mm-hmm. Because you see basically, like, her struggles from, like, a, a sorceress who can't do anything to, like, super powerful. So there's, like, a lot with that and, like, the corruption of the mages. I mean, really, the only thing that I didn't really like about it other than the asymmetrical storytelling was uh, how much they downplayed Triss Marigold, who's, like, a main character in the games. I mean, maybe they'll give yeah. her more to do in the second season, but, like, she literally is in two episodes. And, and that's she's it. a shitty actress. <laughs> like, right so it's they straight like, up just pick, they like yeah they dick trust hard i don't know what the fuck's going on there they picked a bad actress <laughs> I, they wrote her character poorly I, i'm assuming they don't want to introduce a love triangle you know because it, it, it right. there is a love triangle in the games i guess because of two but Geralt loses his memory after the books so the he gets his memory back after the witcher 2 so all the stuff with Triss in the games is kind of like covered. You know, he's not doesn't have to feel guilty for it. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming they just want to kind of right. go with that. But just like yeah, just like ignore that whole thing. Right. The butcher episode was great with this one of the best sword fights I've ever seen in a TV show. That was awesome. Yeah, the fight choreography is amazing in this, especially with like you said the swords. I mean, it's like it looks super real. And Henry Cavill is just so huge, like, swinging around the sword. It looks awesome. Yeah, and it benefited the game because I guess it got its peak concurrent, what, like, five years after (laughs) launch on Steam, which is insane. I went back and restarted it on Switch, and that version is just good enough if you're doing a second playthrough. I was having a lot of fun with that, but I also downloaded it again so I can play Blood Blood and Wine on my computer. I was like, I need to get get going on this. I never played the uh, the DLCs either, but I should probably. Blood and Wine is just another game. It I... <laughs> it's like a... right. It's like another thirty yeah. hour. <laughs> it's like fifty hours, like a fifty hour RPG. So that's cool. Uh, yeah. Witcher is just great. It says you rewatch Midsummer. What do you think on second watch? I need to do this. I also need to see the Lighthouse. I have a Best Buy uh, reward coupon burning a hole in my pocket. <laughs> I'm waiting for the Doctor Sleep three hour cut, and then I'm oh, gonna yeah. get both of them. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, my I rewatched Midsummer like last week, just just kind of on a whim, uh, just bored, and I saw it was on Amazon, so I rented it. The and I mean that movie is just so good. It's like a, it's really hard for that to like not be my movie of the year. Like I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is my favorite of 2019, but I think Midsummer is very very close. Yeah, Midsummer ranked like, really high for me too. I, I loved it. I thought it was so good seeing it in theaters. I really want to watch the director's cut. Yeah, I'm not sure um, if that... I think that was like an Apple TV exclusive. I don't know if it's like forever or if it's timed. But, yeah, that's stupid. Uh, I don't think I saw it on Amazon. So, uh, you know, maybe it'll come one day. Or or maybe it's on the Blu-ray or is it just for I don't know Apple if it's TV? on the Blu-ray, but if you buy the Blu-ray, you get a digital code. And then if you use Movies Anywhere, you'll have the Apple TV version regardless. Oh, right. Because okay. Movies Anywhere gives it to you on every platform. So that's probably what I'm going to do. Uh, I mm-hmm. really want to rewatch that movie. Probably I'll rewatch around May. But yeah, I mean, yeah, both of like, I think really the strengths and like both of uh, Ari Aster's movies are like that he tells you what's going to happen in the movie based on like context clues. So like after you've watched it once, you can really like pick up on them more when you're looking for them. Uh, not that you didn't pick them up the first time, but like you can see different things as you're going. So uh, just, I love that movie. Super good. Like definitely in my top two <laughs> of 2019. Yeah, it's super good. Um, so I've been watching The Witcher. We already talked about that. Last night, uh, I've been playing Subnautica, which is one of the best games I think I've ever played. And there's a lot of busy work in it, just like collecting resources and stuff like that. So I put some movies on the TV. I watched House of a Thousand Corpses, which famously is the only movie I've ever turned off in my whole life for being like too scared. (laughs) And that movie is pretty good still. It holds up. It's really fucking weird. It's edited very bizarrely, which I think actually works in it, unlike uh, Devil's Rejects, which has a lot of random freeze framing. I don't like that, but... <laughs> and then they play a free bird yeah, over it. Yeah, it's bizarre, but you can watch House of a Thousand Corpses on Shudder. Or no, I rented it. I watched a, what did I watch? House of the Devil on Shudder. But I rented House of a Thousand Corpses, and then I like hovered over um, Three from Hell, and I was like, not yet. <laughs> not yet. I'm <laughs> still, still saving that one. <laughs> yeah. And um, I don't know. I think Rob, I, I, Rob Zombie grows on me the, lo- the longer removed I am from his stuff. I don't know why. <laughs> it's like I know it's bad, yeah, but I, mean, I thing, like it. I mean, the thing that I've always kind of said about him is that, like, good or bad, his movies have a definite style to them. Like, him as a director has a unique flavor, and that's not something you can say about every director. So I think that's worthwhile in and of itself. Yeah, definitely. He's just cool, and he funds his own shit. He's like, yeah, I'm Night Shyamalan. I like him for the same reason <laughs> I like I'm Night Shyamalan. But that's what I've been watching Let's get into what we've been playing before we talk about Underwater. So you got a lot of games on here. You have Red Dead 2 on here. Uh, you got that on there because I started playing it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically, I saw you playing it and was like, damn, that sure was a good game. I better <laughs> restart that like 100-hour epic. So that's been the majority of my uh, gaming times when playing that. But I'm like 40 hours into it again, uh, almost done with the fourth chapter, and I mean, I actually like the game like pretty significantly more my second playthrough than I did my first. Like the characters are clicking with me a lot better, and I don't know if that's like 
because I kind of know where the story is going. I just like more so live in the moment than like trying to see what's coming next. Right. Uh, try to do more like camp stuff and actually hang out with people and build relationships. So like, uh, like everything in that game is really hitting for me. Uh, so that's been like really awesome to replay. So I would recommend anybody who, if it didn't click with you and you walked away from it or, you know, you played it last year and you're kind of in a drought, I would say Red Dead 2 is definitely worth a replay. I finally beat it for, for the first time and I agree. I can't really say anything that hasn't already been said. So that's a great game. You have Disco Elysium. That's that game came out of nowhere and won a bunch of huge awards. Yeah, um, it was like pretty widely declared like the best RPG of the year by like a lot of the like smaller places. Like definitely the best like indie uh, RPG and stuff. So it's a really weird game, and there's like a lot of mechanics to it. Uh, but essentially, it's just. Uh, you play as this detective who you lose all of your memories prior to the game starting. So uh, you're like thrown into this world in the middle of this case you're supposed to be investigating and you have to basically piece together not only who you are as a person and like what's going on in the town, but on, like how to move forward and how to like make yourself better as you're investigating these things. And there's a bunch of like RPG style checks where there'll be dice rolls and you level your character up to do better in those different scenarios. And it plays like a, it's an isometric game, plays kind of like a point and click adventure. You move around the map and talk to people and gain information. I mean, there's like novels worth of text in this game. Like it is ridiculous how much like narrative there is in it. I might check that out, but I'm too addicted to Subnautica right now. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, the really cool stuff about it is just, like, the really kind of weird out there, uh, like, side quests and weird things, weird ways you can interact with the world. Like, one of the first things you do in the game is you're kind of in this rundown hotel, so you go downstairs and the karaoke stand is all busted up, so you can, like, put it back together, and then you kind of have an inner monologue conversation with yourself where you're like, hmm, this feels really right for me to be up and singing karaoke. Maybe I should pick a song, and then you're basically decide on i need to sing a sad song for everybody and then it's like okay go out in the world and find a tape of a sad song and bring it to your room and listen to it enough to where you can memorize the lyrics and then you can go and sing karaoke so it's like a whole chain of quests that's funny right like there's a lot of like weird little stuff like that like breadcrumbs leading to bigger and bigger things which is it's cool and uh super deep. cool that sounds fun i've been playing like i said Subnautica, which is a game that was in early access for a long time and i bought it Along on, or I got it for free on Epic Game Store, but then I switched accounts because Switch Fortnite wouldn't work unless, like, if you had logged into your PlayStation ever, which was cool. Thanks, Sony. Mm. So I don't <laughs> own Subnautica anymore. So I bought it during the Steam sale, not really knowing what it was. I knew it was kind of like a survival game, but it had a plot, which I don't love survival games like Minecraft. So I was like, uh, I'll check out Subnautica. So I downloaded Subnautica, and it's basically this game where you're on a spaceship that crash lands on this planet that's 100% water. And you have a little life pod at the beginning that gives you basically everything you need to survive. So you have like um, like a medical machine that'll give you one med pack an in-game day. So that's good. You It gives you a little bit of food and water. But the main point at the beginning is you go and just kind of like collect shit like rocks on the ground, you collect like plants and stuff like that. And as you collect them, 
if you have the combination you need to make something in your inventory, it'll tell you the recipe for it. So at the beginning of the game... So the crafting is like kind of streamlined in that sense. So at the beginning of the game, you're trying to craft flippers. The whole like gameplay loop is going lower and lower and deeper and deeper underwater. So what you need to get is flippers. You need to build a sea. It's called like a a sea glide, I think is what it's called. And that's like a, one of those little things you hang on to that's basically a motor to swim underwater. Oh, yeah. That'll like pull you down. Yeah, yeah. So you build that by going deeper and finding um, pieces of one. And then you scan it. And then once you scan it three times, you can build it. So then you got to go and figure out how to mine the ore you need to build it. And then once you build that, you can go a little bit deeper and then you find a crash site. And once you get to the crash site, you find plans for better flippers or like a better oxygen tank. So it's a really good gameplay loop of progression where you're always trying to build something bigger and cooler so you can go deeper underwater. So right now I'm at the point where I'm trying to build a submarine, which is like a big enough submarine that it basically becomes your base at that point. So you can go out, go really Mm -hmm. deep and you can build like guns for it. I also have the blueprints to build this thing called a prawn suit, which is basically a mech, but you need the uh, submarine to like hold the mech and take it out into the water for you and that the submarine's called a cyclops so i'm like pretty far in the game and the actual plot of it is opening up now because the ship you crash on uh-huh. is like a full-sized like capital ship and that is floating in the water near where your escape pod is so you can always see it and the main goal of the story to get to like the halfway point is to be able to get inside of it to collect whatever is left over and figure out what's going on in the planet. Okay. Like I think the ultimate goal yeah, is to make a rocket gonna... ship so you can get out of the planet. Right. Okay. So there is like a legitimate ending to it. Like there is a final you build this thing and you win the game basically. Yeah. And so they have survival mode which is food and water you need to find and make and then they have um like basically a story mode which is still very tough but you don't have to do food and water and then they just have like free create mode. But I'm just doing the story, and I'm having a ton of fun with it. It doesn't have any multiplayer or anything like that. Like, it's not built like the forest. It's made to be, like, a single-player, really cool, open-world underwater game. So I highly it recommend it. sounds awesome. Yeah, like, the, the amount yeah, of content... Is, I should definitely pick yeah, up. Yeah, it's only 20 bucks. It's like, I don't understand what's going on, like, how this game is so cheap. <laughs> but it looks amazing. It runs really well. There's a VR mode, so I'm definitely going to try that out. Um, I highly recommend it. And it came out last year, finally, on Early Access. Yeah. Wow, really? Because that game's been around for a while, and it only got out of Early Access last year. Yeah, and they're doing a sequel called Subnautica Below Zero, which is in Early Access right now. And it's on the same planet, but they've added in, like, your character has a voice now, and there's NPCs that are alive, Mm. and um, the, the some areas, it's like some biomes are frozen over, so you can get, like, a skiff to run on top of the water and stuff like that. So I will definitely be playing that once it's out. I'm going to wait for them to finish it, though. Yeah, sounds cool. Yeah. And then the second game I've been playing is tied into Underwater. Um, I was playing Dead Space 3 last night because the suits in Underwater are very reminiscent of Dead Space. And I was like, man, Dead Space is awesome. I never played 3. Downloaded <laughs> 3, runs great on my computer, obviously, because it's almost 10 years old now. Still looks amazing. And that game is so good. Just the whole loop of building better guns... And the love triangle between Isaac and John Carver and everything, it's ridiculous. The voice acting is also great. Like, Isaac 
is such a good McCready character because they basically make this one the thing. And I don't know. I think that game's great. I played through most of it in one sitting. I can't wait to go back and finish it. Yeah, that's a series that's kind of begging for like a HD collection. Totally. I, I really want them to do one because if you think about it, the first Dead Space was built to run on like 500 megabytes of RAM. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Right, and it still looked as good as it did. So, like, imagine what they could do if they came in and remastered it, even though that studio's not around anymore. So, I'm not sure who would right. do it. But. EA will probably pay for it. I don't know. It'd be stupid not to because it just looks so good. I, I would love to play the first two of them in addition to three. So, I don't know. If anyone hasn't played Dead Space 3 and you were put off by people whining about it having more of an action slant, uh, I would play it because it everything that I like about Dead Space is there. And it makes sense that after three games worth of fighting necromorphs, Isaac would kind of be strong and over it by that point. It's the same thing as Alien. Like, in Alien, Sigourney Weaver doesn't right. know what the fuck she's doing. But then, by the time Aliens comes around, she's experienced. She knows what she's doing. And that's why she's able to kill more of them. So, that's exactly what kind of happens in the Dead Space franchise. I don't see it as any different than that. Yeah. And that is just a really solid franchise if anybody's interested in playing it who hasn't looked at it. That's just three pretty incredible games that I'm sure are dirt cheap now. Definitely. So the movie this week we're talking about is Underwater. It came out this week. It's the end of January horror movie. We got this year The Grudge from Sony and Disney. Like 20th Century Fox, a.k.a. Disney, just shit this out. Um, <laughs> so back in 2017, around the time Alien Covenant was coming out, or 20th Century Fox thought Alien Covenant was going to be this big success. It wasn't, but they had already shot Underwater, so they just shelved it. And Disney, I guess, was like, well, we have this. We should put it out. And it's an $80 million monster movie uh, about a character named Nora Price, who's played by Kirsten Stewart. And she's a mechanical engineer on this, like, underwater base at the bottom of the Mariana Trench, which is, like, seven miles underground. And then randomly, like, right at the beginning of the movie, first five minutes, the whole thing, like, half the base compresses, and the survivors basically have to walk to a different base so they can take a working escape pod up to the surface. Obviously, they think it's because of an earthquake, but then it turns out to be this, like, giant Cthulhu monster who spawns human-sized little monsters. And <laughs> it's a very solid movie. Like, it's better than a January movie has any right to be, in my opinion. Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, I mean, I, th I think the strengths in it really rely uh, in it looks like it's it's well shot the sets look pretty amazing the suits are cool uh the the monsters and the giant cthulhu one specifically but the little guys too uh all look great so like the creature design is amazing set designs are great uh really the only d bad things about it are uh, the plot is really weak and super bare bones yeah it's um, just like get from point a to b and escape Right, so it's like doesn't really give the characters a lot of time or like a lot of really incentive to do anything other than just try to keep moving. And then it's like, oh, we got to this obstacle. One person died. Oh, let's go to the next obstacle. Uh, another guy died. So it's just like kind of formulaic in that sense. But uh, I mean, definitely worth a watch, I would say. 
Yeah, my big gripe with it is that it definitely needed reshoots to kind of give context to where the characters were at at any, any given time. Like, I had no sense of progress. Yeah. They're like, oh, we got to walk to this base. But then there are major cuts to black where a lot of that middle section is cut out. Like, it'll skip from, okay, we got to jump off this. We got to jump to this elevator so then we can jump to the ocean floor. Mm-hmm. And then they skip the entire ocean floor segment for, to get to the next part. A lot, and that was kind of annoying. But I was like, okay, well, they're, yeah, they're I mean, really they going like, in one direction, so right. They're like, yeah, we have to walk a mile on the ocean floor to get to this thing, and then they're just like not. They're just at the next place, so it's like, okay, so that wasn't really that big of a deal, even though you brought it up specifically that it's a mile to walk there. Mm-hmm. But well, so there's just like weird little things like that. But yeah, the suit design is great. Just the overall set design is awesome. Like it feels very lived in and real, which I appreciated. And all of the effects are top notch. There wasn't anything that didn't look believable in the entire movie. No, I mean that must have been why it cost as much as it did to make this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, this just—it's crazy to me that this was even made. I mean, I, I guess like you're saying, they were expecting. Uh, Alien Covenant to be a hit, and then it would kind of bring all the other Alien-style movies up with it, and this would do well, too, but uh, it's, just, it's just crazy this got the kind of budget that it had. Yeah. I don't know. I love Alien Covenant. I don't understand why that movie didn't do well. It, it blows my mind. <laughs> this movie's so good. <laughs> but I, I like this a lot. I, I think it's definitely worth seeing. I mean, there's a lot of competition out right now with 1917, but if you have one of those movie passes, I feel like this movie really benefits from being seen in a theater. It just is a it, yeah. it has a huge sense of scale. I wish it was showing right, the in scope Dolby. Is huge. Because I looked it up that and they mastered amazing. it for it. They mastered it to be shown in Dolby Atmos. Oh really? Yeah. But 1917 obviously is gonna take over that. Right. Like this, I'm in LA and it's you can see anything here. Like there are very few movies that don't open in LA and. I have the AMC Movie Pass, so when I opened up the app, there was like 15 or 20 AMCs around me, and it was literally the one by my house, and then AMC at Universal City Walk had it, which is not a lot. That's very low showings for an opening weekend, and my theater was not full. It was like half full, I would say, so at uh, 1 p.m. on a Saturday. So this movie is definitely not doing great, but if you're a monster movie fan, I definitely think it's worth checking out. Yeah. I agree with that for sure. So I get, I'd give it like a seven out of ten, like three and a half out of five. Most of the like that point five comes from the production design and the cool like set pieces and sequences. Yeah, I'd give it like a two and a half, three, but I still liked it. Yeah, and that's where it's hovering like for everyone. It feels like. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's like just, it's on the edge of being something really cool. Like, there's definitely some cool parts in it, but a lot of it also falls really flat. Right. I completely agree. I I don't know. I might see it again. Like, if there's nothing out over the next couple weeks, I really do want to actually see The Grudge. Maybe we can do that for next week's episode. I think that's still mm. in theaters. I've it's a, it's a very similar situation with The Grudge to Godzilla King of the Monsters, where people, you know, everyone says they're a fan of The Grudge, right? And everyone says they're, like, a huge Godzilla fan. And then... The American side, the Western side, makes a movie like Godzilla King of the Monsters, which is tried and true, exactly what Godzilla is. Like, hokey human plot that doesn't make any sense. Just straight up monster fights all the way down to, like, the, it's like covering up major plot points, you know? But And then the plot is just mm-hmm. very centered on 
uh, you know, humanity. Just getting two beings to fight each other. Yeah. Getting them in the same spot. And it's got a ham-fisted, like, globalist, climate change-esque, you know, right. plot. Environmentalist, the world's ending, take care of the Earth. Right. And that's exactly what King of the Monsters is. And then you get all these people saying it's not a Godzilla movie. And that's really them showing their true face because they it's like, oh, you're one of those people who just lies about liking things. Because other <laughs> you know, because there's so many people like that who will just say they like something because they think it makes them look smart or cool. And I think a lot of people do that with the grudge because the the original grudge, Juan, the whole point is that it's like the house is cursed and you're unlucky for walking in it. And you're just fucked. Like, you're cursed once you go into mm-hmm. it. You're going to die. Like, that's it. There's no way to beat it. It kills anyone who walks into it. That's the tone that this movie apparently takes. And people have a lot of major concerns with that and gripes. They're like, it's so mean-spirited, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, well, maybe you're not as big of a fan of the grudge as you thought you were, you know? <laughs> right. Maybe you completely missed the plot of the original one. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not saying it's great. I obviously haven't seen it. I just, I like reviews like that, which are like... This movie sucks because I completely missed the point. <laughs> you know? It's like, uh, it's so yeah. frustrating. But, okay, that's the movie review this week. We got Underwater. You guys should go check it out if you're a horror fan, which I'm assuming you are if you're listening to this podcast. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with the news. All right, George, this week we have five news stories to talk about, but we're going to start out with the biggest and most disappointing story, which is an update on Doctor Strange, which I guess we should have all seen coming. So Scott Derrickson is no longer directing Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. He tweeted that him and Marvel have mutually agreed to part ways due to creative differences, but he's going to stay on as an executive producer. So we kind of saw this coming because... Um, it was announced as MCU's first horror movie, which is something that you immediately were like, no fucking way. And then a couple months later, <laughs> Kevin Feige walked it back and was like, well, I wouldn't necessarily call it a horror movie, but it's a big MCU movie with some scary sequences in it. Uh, obviously, that rubbed Scott Derrickson the wrong way, so he was just like, fuck it. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, and I, I assume it did probably come down to that sense of he wanted to take the story in a you know, actual horror movie way. Uh, and the overlords at Disney were like, no, 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 no. Kids need to watch this. So it can't be super fucked up and scary. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it sucks. Cause like if it legitimately was, uh, a horror movie with Dr. Strange and you could have this multiverse where you could have like, you know, who knows how many like big creepy sequences with like walking the different, multiverses with like you could have a Lovecraftian one you could have you know all kinds of really creepy cool sequences but uh it 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 does suck that it's not going to be quite that but at least uh Scott Derrickson has his own new project he's working on with the co-writer Sinister yeah that's going to be cool uh I'm excited for that because it is going to be an R-rated horror movie it's just frustrating because Uh, Shazam came out last year and that had very horror-esque sequences in it that were done really well and kids love that movie. It's one of the best superhero movies of last year, hands down. Mm -hmm. But Disney is just afraid to go outside of what they've established with Marvel, I guess, which is pretty annoying, honestly, because they're in a great spot to do it and it feels like they're making moves to bring in scary characters like Werewolf by Night and uh, Moon Knight and Blade. 
It's like, oh, if you can't even do Doctor Strange a little bit scary, right? that makes me worry for those characters. Have. I mean, I think it's really going to come down to... Um, I know they said that they're going to keep Deadpool R-rated and do another Deadpool movie, but I think that's really going to be the like barometer for how how far they're going to push the envelope as like Disney owns these characters. Mm-hmm. So I think if that's like less offensive than like Deadpool 1 or 2 and like just barely walks the line of an R, I think that's probably what we're going to get out of that. Yeah. I yeah, that's that's a good point. So we basically have to wait for Deadpool 3 to see what's going to happen. But speaking of Marvel, so New Mutants is another interesting uh, point for Marvel right now because it's been delayed and delayed and delayed but after literal years of rewrites and reshoots they finally kicked out Simon Kinberg who's the guy who's basically ruined X-Men for years <laughs> he's I guess the lead producer he's written a few of the movies and he just is a bad does a bad job like just straight up objectively bad the reason he was causing problems for New Mutants is because the director Josh Boone got greenlit on an idea which is a very small simple horror movie and Simon Kinberg was like, well, this is turning out well, good, so let me ruin it by introducing <laughs> all these different characters. They brought in an entirely new main character. They brought in a new antagonist. They tried to tie it into fucking Dark Phoenix and all this shit. But eventually, Disney and Marvel were like, all right, you're fired. And then they said, Josh Boone, go back, release the original movie you made. <laughs> so it's going all the way back to square one after all this time and all this energy, wasted money and all that stuff. Just to be the original movie of the set, which I visited in 2017, and seeing the new trailer, I actually really liked it, and it it looked like I was able to pin down rooms I was in, and it looks like exactly what I saw them filming, which is insane. All this time later, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it looks good. The trailer looks good, which was like the most shocking thing to me because I figured something like this that's been in development hell for so long. Like I was surprised it's even actually getting a real release date, yes. and it's this year. Um, but it, like, it seems like what they have is actually shaping up to be something that will be a good movie. Yeah. And I I think this might've actually been like a blessing in disguise because now if they release it now, then it's like the reintroduction of, uh, mutant characters into like this new MC universe. Since I'm assuming it'll have some kind of time tie, tie in a, to it in some way, shape or form. I hope so. I hope this uh, isn't still separate because disney knowingly marketed dark phoenix as the end of the x-men universe right so they have right that's the end of like the old x-men cinematic universe so you would assume that these characters if they're releasing a new x-men movie are going to be folded into the existing mcu which would be awesome because i remember the thing that they're going for with this is a dream warriors vibe like that's what they're really shooting for teamwork fighting a a monster you can't see, all that stuff. So that's exactly what it looks like. And everyone that was in the trailers, everyone I talked to when I visited the set. So there aren't any new characters. It's literally that lady is like their keeper in the hospital. And she's... you're. I, I guess from the plot synopsis that you're supposed to not know if she's good or bad, which seems mm-hmm. fine. But they're it's like an X-Men story. So they're all going to have to figure out how to work together to not be fucked up mentally. <laughs> <laughs> that's basically what this movie's about yeah but I, I mean i think if it if it's done well this could be like actually the shot in the arm that like a new generation of x-men movies could be built off of if it's like a really strong start so 
Uh, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm <laughs> really curious cool. to see if any of these actors will come back if this is part of the MCU. Because all of the footage in this movie is from 2017. Yeah, so it's like... I don't know. I, it seems like... I mean, it seems like the X-Men can kind of do their own thing, almost. Like, that they wouldn't be called into like a lot of the big event stuff. Like, they mm-hmm. may have their own separate big event stuff. So... Um, I mean, I could see it, see them doing that too, where there's like basically a smaller X-Men cinematic universe within the Marvel cinematic universe. Right. Uh, we'll just have to see, I guess. Yep. And next up here, Lee Wanell's The Invisible Man got an R rating, which it's basically getting as far as it possibly can away from that mummy reboot with Tom Cruise. Like it's like <laughs> R rated small scope, downright horror movie. And it's rated R for strong, bloody violence and language. And I picked up on this from Twitter. I forget who said it. But that means there's not going to be, like, a really cliche invisible man rape scene. There's, like, missing language from the R rating that basically... I think if it says sexual violence, that means rape. Mm -hmm. So that's good. It looks like it's going to be an original story, which is exciting. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, time and time again, Lee Winnell's proven himself as, like, a good... Uh, you know, good writer. So I could see this being a really cool movie. Like, I'm definitely really excited for it. Me too. I think it's going to be pretty cool. That comes out fairly soon, so we don't have that long to wait. And there's not really much more to say on it. It's cool. They are doing an Invisible Woman movie as well, which is kind of odd. Like, it's a different creative team. It's not tied into this in any way, but it's still universal. Mm -hmm. Curious to see what's going on there. I'd really like them to try the mummy on the small scale again, like make yeah, I mean, make it set in Egypt. That'd be cool. Right. I mean, really, the the thing about this movie being rated R is it kind of opens up the door for like if they wanted to do like you know a movie for each of the original Universal monsters, if that's really what they want to do, or if this does well, then all of those can also you know not pull any punches and be you know, as explicit as possible, or, you know, if they do, like, a Dracula movie, it can be dark and violent and bloody, uh, you know, if they do a mummy movie, it can be rated R and show, like, the curt, like, the plague curses and stuff, so I think it just, this being rated R kind of opens the door for, like, we could get, like, some adult uh, monster movies if this does well, which could be really cool. Yeah, and if it doesn't do well, the key is to bring back Rick O'Connell. We need That's we need trick. a reboot of the, the real mummy. <laughs> Brendan Fraser, come back to us. Bring Please. back Brendan Fraser. Please, I need with Rick the cowboy O'Connor. hat on. Oh, George, I'm gonna surprise you. We got a Halloween alert towards the end of the show. Oh man, it was a surprise Halloween alert. I was like, it's like a That's mini a one. Surprise Halloween alert. So like, I didn't think it was a big enough one to be get the full treatment. I'm definitely gonna put in the Luma screen, but it's just a little tiny update. Uh, Neca got the license finally for Halloween two. So we're getting a Lori figure, a Michael figure, and a Loomis figure, which is really cool because McFarlane Toys famously made one a few years ago, and I guess NECA's made one before, which I wish I got that one because it came with the porch of the Myers house, Michael and Loomis. Oh, really? Yeah. But obviously those are all expensive as shit now. So (laughs) NECA is coming in to save the day. They've got a two-pack that comes with Lori Loomis. The skull pumpkin from the intro and a little lighter for Loomis, which is awesome. And these are their <laughs> deluxe figures, so they have clothes instead of painted clothes, painted on outfits, rubber. Right, they have like cloth. Yeah, a little cloth. Loomis has his little tiny cloth 
trench coat yeah. on. And <laughs> so this is the first time Lori's ever been made from Halloween 2 also, which is cool. I'm definitely going to buy that. The Michael Myers is cool. I just don't like the way Michael looks. Yeah, the H2 design. Yeah. I kind of want the body, though, because the heads are you know, replaceable. It'd be cool to get the body. Right, you could just... And then slap on my Halloween 2018 extra head. <laughs> yeah, you could do that. That's probably what I'll do. Um, either way, this is exciting because it's one step closer to them getting the rights for the original Halloween so we can finally get an OG Michael Myers figure. Yeah, and how sweet would it be if they released, like, a Halloween playset with, like, the Myers house and, yeah. <laughs> like, a Michael Myers and a Loomis and a Lori? It'd be awesome. I'd uh, be totally into that. That would just be really cool. <laughs> so there's no word on how much these are, these are going to cost. I think it said... I'm going to click. Sorry, you guys can hear this. I think it says it's going to be out in May of this year, which that's not too far away. They got mm. such cool little dioramas that look like the end of the movie, too. I wish they'd sell that. Like... The yeah. pictures in the bloody disgusting article. If you guys want to go check it out, um, it has the little hospital room from the end of the movie, and also the Michael figure comes <laughs> with a hammer, a scalpel, a syringe, and then the bleeding eyes mask effect. Yeah, but they they the bleeding eyes is pretty cool. They did nail the mask. Like the hair looks like shit, just like it did in the movie. And, right, but that's because it's emulating the movie. Yeah, and the white paint is faded at the neck. It's like okay, cool. It looks. Looks like Michael Myers from Halloween 2. <laughs> and there's bullet holes I mean, in some people love holes. that movie. Yeah. Oh, that, that is cool that it's got the bullet holes. Damn. Might have to get this. He looks so yeah, funny. Yeah, might have to just get all three. He's like kind of squat. <laughs> his little clothes are funny. I mean, he's no Halloween 4 where he's like a football player with his shoulder pads in. but Yeah. Give us the real Michael we want. Halloween Resurrection. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah, I think we really one. need that. And then rounding out the show here, George, this is the last piece of news, and it's quite possibly one of the biggest pieces of news. So for months, years even, we've been hearing about Don Mancini's sci-fi child's play show, which has been, I don't know, like it, from the beginning, it was made to sound very clear like sci-fi was buying it. And then it was like, oh, we might get started on it soon. Oh, we're going to start writing it, and then we're going to shop it around. But now we're going full circle and coming back to sci-fi, who has ordered a full series of Child's Play from Don Mancini and Nick Antosca, which is bizarre that it's taken this long to get here, right? Like we've this, It feels right. like the same story we mentioned <laughs> multiple times. But uh, the plot of this one is going to be that a vintage, Chucky a vintage Chucky doll shows up at a classic suburban yard sale. And after a series of horrifying murders, the town's secrets start to come out. And people from Chucky's past, both friend and foe, threaten to reveal the true killer. And also, it will explore Charles Lee, Charles Lee Ray's childhood and show us how he grew up to be a monster. Which, that sounds really cool. Honestly, that sounds... Like, exactly what they need to do after the flaming pile that was Cult, <laughs> that cult was, of Chucky. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's got something. I think they're doing two more movies of that also. I think oh, that's wow. getting two sequels. I'm going to look right now. <laughs> but, um, I, I mean, I think really the cool stuff, like, what I'm looking forward to in this show, if they're showing earlier Charles Lee Ray, it'd be sweet if they showed his, like, introduction into the dark arts like his study of like witchcraft and voodoo mm -hmm. and all that i think that would be like a really awesome avenue to explore it'd be interesting to see kind of how they fold that in and what the, what his like inspirations are or his mentors and that like did he 
know some creepy witch doctor or something that like taught him this stuff or what yeah i'd love to see more backstory on him and i'd like to see what happened when he was a kid that makes him this fucked up like (laughs) psycho but you know jennifer tilly's gonna be in it alex vincent will definitely be in it like all these people are don mancini's friends at this point so i'm sure we'll see that he has been teasing that we will see glenn slash glenda in this movie in the show somehow so yeah that's (laughs) that's fine i guess yeah i mean uh, it, it sounds good i'm definitely gonna watch it but i'm just also worried that it could just be too much like, I know there's people that really buy in and love the, like, Child's Play universe, but I'm just afraid that it's going to be, like, too much, too weird so, <laughs> to really get behind. What I was afraid of with this new Child's Play movie was that it was going to stop Don Mancini's franchise, not because it was, like, good or bad or anything. I'm not talking about quality. I just mean from the standpoint of MGM could be like, hey, we're making this, you like, fuck off Universal, and Universal is going to be like... Well, you know, they're kind of ruining the reputation of the franchise, so we're going to let it take a break. But they're, like, not about that, I guess. They're bringing back (laughs) Brad Dourif, Fiona Dourif. Everyone's on board for the real Chucky to come back to sci-fi, who has, in fact, made some of the best horror TV shows over the past few years. I know, like, Shudder's been kind of killing it with Creepshow and stuff, but I don't think Creepshow got close to what sci-fi has done with uh, Channel Zero. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they have, uh, like, some of the Channel Zero uh, showrunners behind this show really, I think, boosts its, uh, like, cred a bit. Like, it seems like having those those people behind the wheel, or at least involved in it in some way, is really going to up the show uh, significantly. Yeah, so this is able to happen because Sci-Fi is owned by NBC Universal, who gets to do TV and home video movies in the child's play franchise but mgm owns the theatrical rights to that name honestly i feel like universal could just give don mancini enough money to make a movie called chucky (laughs) right yeah honestly like bring it full circle i don't know this is exciting though And, and i mean obviously the fans are there Child's Play 2019 i think did pretty well in the box office so it's not like yeah, it did fine you know, it'd be a waste yeah. of money to make a Chucky movie that was like a real Mancini one, I think it would make money no matter what. Right. I just, I think a lot of the audience for that new movie was kids and yeah. they don't have cable. <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully those people aren't watching YouTube videos about it. Cause I think I'm going to do a video on this, but the child's play 2019 crowd is like toxic sludge. <laughs> <laughs> It's just garbage, <laughs> terrible fandom. Like I, the defining voice of that fandom was literally like "fuck Don Mancini." It was basically like we like the new Chucky and don't care how many people's livelihoods are completely fucked by a studio making a movie to keep rights. Yeah, really strange. Yeah, and not even a good movie at that. Yeah, I heard they. We're doing two sequels, but I just looked it up, and that does not look like it's happening. Thank fucking God. <laughs> like, Mark Hamill was the, the, you know, the shining light of that movie. He said he'd come back. Yeah. Lars Klebberg obviously would come back. I just don't understand why they named it Child's Play. There was no reason for that movie to be a Child's Play movie. It could have been its own thing, and yeah, it would have worked. Yeah, the doll to look like anything else. 
Yes. And it would have been the like identically the same movie. I yeah, somehow the narrative on that movie shifted over time to where it was the underdog and the TV show was not and I have no idea how that happened cuz that's just a fucking joke. <laughs> like that was the marquee movie for uh Orion this year, in 2019 and people want to pretend like it had an uphill battle to fight at all. It didn't. It was an R-rated child's play reboot. That had a Chucky who looked similar enough where people who saw the original when they were like 15 or 16 or even like up to 20, it looked similar enough to where they would see it and be like, oh, that's Chucky. Chucky's back in a new movie out of sheer morbid curiosity. I feel like that movie had it in the bag. Also, it had like a $5 million budget. (laughs) There's no reality in which that movie was not making its money back with the very minimal marketing they did as well. That, that movie was never the underdog. Whereas on the Don Mancini side, he's making this TV show. He's got to do all these direct-to-DVD movies. He's literally, like, pinching pennies on everything. And people are acting like... Right. And it was sort of up in the air if anybody was even going to buy it or not. Right. It was like, <laughs> was Mancini going to have to make, like, a Chucky streaming service and sell it or something? Yeah, and there's this whole thing where people think... Uh, Tom Holland is the reason Child's Play did well, but... In reality, if Tom Holland got his way, the voice actress for Luce or the actress of Lucille in um, Arrested Development would be his voice. And like, <laughs> like Don Mancini came in during editing and completely fixed the fucking movie. People were like, "Yeah, but he wanted Chucky to be like a like a real boy's id and stuff like that." It's like, yeah, he wanted that in the script. And then when the movie was made, he saw how it worked better with a doll. And then he came in during editing and fixed the movie. It's like people, people regurgitate what other people say way too much instead of doing their own research. That's the whole point. But here we are. Yeah. We've got a great future for the original Chucky, which like I'm not a massive Child's Play fan. I just enjoy it. I think it's cool when these 80s slasher icons come back. So I'm just curious to see how this will go because this thing being successful opens doors for other franchises to come back most importantly yeah or other you know big horror shows to exist right you know sci-fi will pick up other stuff if this is like an actual draw for people to pay for their channel exactly and there's some weird crossover stuff with shutter and sci-fi going on Right now, where, you know, Channel Zero ended up on Shudder, and it blew up again. Like, people were really into it. Mm-hmm. Like, when are you guys making a new season? Because um, they just genuinely didn't know it was on sci-fi. So, either way, I'd assume if this doesn't do well on sci-fi, I think it'll end up eventually on something like Shudder or Netflix. And much like Ash vs. Evil Dead, that's where it's going to find its fandom. For, for right. better or worse. I mean, the only issue would be, at that point... Will that streaming service have the funding to pick it up and do more if if the fans want it? Right. So that's all I have on Child's Play News right now and everything else we talked about today. You got anything else you want to mention here, George? No, I think that pretty much covers it. Okay, well, either way, we'll be back next week. I'm going to try and see The Grudge, I guess, because nothing's really coming out. Yeah. And we both are interested. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I missed it the first week it came out. Um, but it is, it is something that I've like, I legitimately do want to see. So I think I'm going to go check it out this week. Cool. Um, all right guys, we will catch you next week. Bye.